In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. God willing, today we're going to start a new book um, in the Bible, Second Timothy. We finished First Timothy last time. Second Timothy is only four chapters. We won't be spending uh, very long on it. Um, and then of course, it's the second letter um, that St. Paul writes to his uh, disciple Timothy. Um, and it was written during um, St. Paul's second imprisonment. So he was imprisoned twice, first time, uh, or both times in Rome. Um, the second time uh, was right before his martyrdom. Um, and this is where he wrote. This is actually the last epistle um, that St. Paul wrote before his death. Um, again, as we said before, St. Timothy is the bishop of Ephesus, and he was a disciple of St. Paul. Uh, he was a bishop. The year here is around 67 to 68 A.D., um, and this is also one of what are called the pastoral epistles. Pastoral epistles, which are the letters that St. Paul wrote to individual people um, for, for like a specific purpose of like guiding them or encouraging them or uh, giving them certain requirements or guidelines that they should be um, following. Okay. <coughs> uh, here in this epistle, um, St. Paul asks St. Timothy to come and visit him um, before his martyrdom and also to bring Mark um, as well. And as I said, this is like a final farewell um, because he fears that he might not see St. Timothy again um, before his departure. He also writes to the church in general that is suffering um, under the persecution of Emperor Nero, um, and he speaks about the end of his victorious struggle in the world after he has spent many years um, in his apostleship um, struggling and, and to, to fulfill his mission. So we'll just start with the first chapter. <coughs> Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So again, as we always see that St. Paul introduces himself um, in the very first verse of any of his letters um, to indicate who is, who is writing and to give a greeting, um, so by name, so here from... St. Paul specifically to St. Timothy. Um, and here he says about himself that he is an apostle uh, of Jesus Christ according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. And there is always an emphasis on in, in any of the epistles that St. That Paul is writing from prison um, that he is speaking about like the, the future promise and the future hope instead of dwelling on like anything negative, like instead of dwelling on uh, like the struggles that he's facing or um, the anxieties that he has or the fears that he has, he's always dwelling on something that is hopeful and being thankful to God even in the midst of being in a difficulty like being um, in prison. So even though he's in prison, he is living with this promise of everlasting life um, which can't be taken away from him. And this is really what he wants the people to see and the focus on is even though like... Um, they are not there with him in the prison, but they are experiencing struggle in the world. Um, they're experiencing persecution uh, under Emperor Nero. Of course, the Christians um, experienced persecution for, for a very long time um, in the early church. Um, and so he is wanting everyone to keep in mind this promise of life, that even though the Lord said that we would struggle in the world, um, but he says that we will ultimately have victory. Um, in Luke 12, um, the Lord said, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. So here when the Lord was speaking, he said he's, he's making the distinction between how we should see like all the threats that we face in the world. And he's saying, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. Do not be afraid of those who can throw you in prison. Do not be afraid of those who persecute you. Those people who can harass you and cause you to suffer in the world. Um, even though, of course, for us, this is something very difficult. But in the end, he says, do not fear them because they have no real power. The only one you should fear is God who has the power, of course, of and holding the keys to eternal life. Um, and, and here also we see kind of the close bond between St. Paul and St. Timothy. He, he refers to him as a beloved son, um, and he's, he wants to write to him one last time um, before he dies. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers day, uh, prayers night and day. So even though St. Paul is in prison, um, he starts this epistle again with thanksgiving for all that God has done in his life and his ministry. It's easy for us sometimes, even though we have many positive experiences with God and 
Maybe we could look back on our lives at many good things that the Lord has given us and the mercy that he has shown us. But it still can be our tendency that whenever we go through difficult times, we're very quick to turn our back against him. We're very quick to turn our back on him. We're very quick to begin to grumble. We're very quick to uh, begin to feel like God is being unfair or blaming him for various situations that we're, we're in or why is it that you're allowing this to happen and we begin to our faith to be shaken and also maybe to have some resentment even and bitterness um, toward God for allowing such a thing. And that's because in our minds um, it's very difficult for us to separate the idea that if God is loving then that means we shouldn't go through suffering. We, we tend to link these two things together. We say well if God is a loving God then it means we shouldn't suffer. And if we suffer, then that means somehow something's wrong with God. Something is missing. Something that he could have done differently or he sh could have intervened and he didn't do. Or maybe he's punishing me or whatever the case might be. Um, so one of the important principles for us to learn um, as believers is the idea that suffering is not incompatible with the love of God. And actually sometimes the, the love of God is through suffering. Sometimes in or God is actually showing us love by allowing us to suffer. And maybe this is very difficult for us to understand at the moment or to realize what is the benefit, the spiritual benefit of any particular suffering we experience. Um, but but, but God, God only allows what is good for us. And if there is some good in, 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 in that suffering, you know, this side of the church is open too. You don't have to... <laughs> um, if there's something good for us, then then even though it might entail some kind of suffering, then God will do it. And we see this example very clearly like with parents, parents and children. I mean, parents allow their kids to suffer in different ways, ways at least that the children perceive as suffering. Um, parents don't give their kids everything they ask for. Um, kids will cry. The parents don't necessarily jump and just say, okay, whatever it is that you want, I'm going to give you to make you to stop crying, or at least they shouldn't, right? Um, because the goal of the parent is to is to teach the children, and and there is there it's very easy if we give our children everything that they want that it actually will turn into a vice, will turn into something harmful, will turn into an addiction, will turn into the kids being spoiled, something that is negative that we are trying to avoid. We're trying to teach our children good things, so it's easier for us as human beings to see the example when we think about it in terms of parents and children, because maybe uh, we can understand the reasons right behind it. Whereas when God allows us to suffer, maybe we don't see the reasons or we don't um, comprehend them or maybe we don't see them yet. Maybe we'll see them later on. Um, also, sometimes God is wanting us to be cured of spiritual diseases and sicknesses that we don't even know that we have. We're not even aware of the, the, the struggles that we have. We don't even know the things that are in us that maybe are an obstacle to us or God is preparing us for something that is to happen in the future that um that you know we we wouldn't uh, we wouldn't otherwise um be prepared for actually one of the fathers was telling the story that he had heard from somebody in his congregation about how he um this man he 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 owned like one of these trailers that carries cars and um one day um somebody hit his hit the trailer and damaged it uh, and so there was like a ladder that was damaged um, from from it being hit. And, and so the man was upset because it was hit and he was maybe blaming God for it. And then um, the the next day, his the trailer was stolen, right? So he didn't, so he was even more upset that now not only was it first hit and now it's stolen and he's blaming God again, God, why are you allowing this to happen? And so he ended up borrowing uh another one of these trailers from another friend of his who had one. And as he was driving, he saw uh, the trailer. He saw a trailer, but they all looked the same. He couldn't tell. He thought maybe this is my trailer or not. Of course, they all look the same. But he noticed that the ladder on that trailer was broken. And so he identified that as being actually his own trailer. Um, and there would have been no other way for him to identify that it was his trailer other than the fact that the previous day, the ladder had been broken. So uh, he ended up getting it back, uh, thank God. But the, the example serves to mean that sometimes God allows things that are difficult or painful or things we are don't want, and there is some future purpose for it that we don't yet understand. So um, one thing we always learn from St. Paul is that we never see him complaining or grumbling about his situation, um, but he is always thanking God. He said, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience. Um, and the reason he's saying he serves him with a pure conscience is because he can look back at his life and say, 
um, I ran the race. I did what I was asked to do. I was diligent. Um, I did not squander the time that God has given me. Um, I did not run in fear. I did not seek my own comfort. Um, I, I was always bold and truthful. I didn't tell people what they wanted to hear. In every way, St. Paul was a model servant that we should all follow. Um, and so now, by the time of the end of his life, he can look back at everything that he has done without any regret, without any sense of, I wish I would have done things differently. You know, we hear many stories about people who maybe they, at the end of their life, they regret. They regret how they spent their time. They regret they didn't spend more time with their families. They regret that they spent too much time working. Um, they regret they didn't turn to God sooner. Uh, they, they regret they didn't do good to other people. They regret that they were greedy. They because in that moment at the end of your life, it like brings everything into focus and makes you see really like what is important and what is not. So here, um, for St. Paul to say, I served God with a pure conscience. I, I All my life, I, I gave of myself to, he to him, as my forefathers did, right? The forefathers, like all those servants of God that came, from, that came before, just as they served God, he also, St. Paul, is serving God. It is like <coughs> it is like a continuation, right? And we see this is how the church has thrived throughout all of history, is that one generation learns from the previous and continues the mission and passes down the faith to the next generation. And then they learn from the previous generation and they live their life in faithfulness and pass down that faith to the next generation. And this is the way that the church has grown and thrived um, all throughout history. Um, so he was faithful to his ministry despite of the many trials he faced and he was continuing the mission that um, those who came before him labored for many years for the salvation of mankind. And and you see here, even in his affliction, he is saying what? See, uh, without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. Again, St. Paul was a person who, even though he himself is going through all kinds of suffering, he was always focused on another person, always focused on the other. Even the idea of him writing these epistles in prison. You know, maybe when even when we have a bad day, um, like I don't want to talk to anybody. I, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to help anybody. I just want to be by myself and cry, and 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 pity myself for the suffering that I'm experiencing and feeling bad about myself. And I, the last thing I want to do is listen to other people's problems and to, um, you know, help other people with their problems because my problems are big enough right now, right? Uh, and this man, he's in prison. He was in prison for years, and yet we still find him writing entire epistles while he was in prison, because his mind, even while he was there, was still on the well-being of those, uh, his spiritual children, whom he had, um, he had baptized, whom he had brought to the faith, whom he had preached to, the churches that he established, all of these things were in his mind, and of here, of course, he's saying, uh, even about St. Timothy, that he is um, remembering him in his prayers night and day. Greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. So um, when, when last time St. Paul, so remember, Timothy is the bishop of Ephesus. The last time that St. Paul was in Ephesus, he met with, um, he had like a priest meeting, if you want to call it that. He met with all of the, the bishops, the priests that were there, um, and they came and they all, they all met with him together. And this is recorded in Acts chapter 20. And it says when he was leaving, he told them, um, that he would not be seeing them again. He knew that he would be martyred, and he knew that he wouldn't be seeing them again. So it says, Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more, and they accompanied him to the ship. Right. So, so when he's saying here, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, these tears are when he last remembered seeing Timothy with, with tears because he was being separated from his master, um, Paul. Um, and, and so he's remembering him fondly. He's remembering this, this time where um, was the last time that they saw each other. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. So um, St. Paul, when he's, he, 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 he brings to mind the, the genuine faith that is in Timothy, um, the genuine faith that he has, he's attributing this um, to a large extent to the way that he was raised. Um, and he mentions by name his grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice, um, knowing them and knowing that they played a, a very important part in raising Timothy to be the man that he is today. And uh, I just want to speak a little bit about this because nowadays 
the idea of raising children has been like demoted in value to being like uh, like something that's like very um, like very trivial. Especially people have money um, that they they maybe hire other people to raise their kids for them. The iPad reads the kids for them, and and the role of the parents is primarily just to support the children in terms of giving them the things that they want and food and water and shelter, um, and that's it, right? You know, the idea even that you would have a, a parent, like the mother, for instance, to stay home, to be with the children and to raise the children, this is in our society today considered, um, you know, almost sexist, like to say, why is it that we would have such a system? Why is it that it's important for there to be a parent to stay home? And we elevate the value and the importance of work and making money above everything, right? You know, why would why would a parent stay home when the parent could be working? Why? So we can have more money. Well, why do we want more money? Well, so we can buy the things that we want. Well, how much stuff is enough? How much stuff do we need? You know, what is the what is of a greater value? When you hear you think about um, these women, even though these women never became priests or bishops, right? But without them, right, maybe St. Timothy would never have become a bishop. Right, so the, the the emphasis and the role that they play, even though it be something that maybe never receives like grand recognition um, or a special rank in the church or anything like that, but without their role, um, then the church wouldn't have bishops. You know, there's some families in the in the church where like all of the children um, became either bishops or monks or priests. You know, it's like, well, what does it say about the, the, that family? Right? Why is it? Is was was it genetic? Was it because like there was something in the genes of these people that caused them to be like godly people, or was it because they were raised in a certain way, right? So, so the the those people who are behind the scenes, those people who maybe are nameless, that we don't know about them, like who are the parents of Saint Paul? Well, we don't know their names, right? You know who raised him? So, so the the people who are, um, you know, maybe behind the scenes. Uh, have such an important role, and they're not given enough credit by society, um, especially when you know the focus is all about well, you know, unless you're working and making money, then you know really you're, 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 you don't have any value, right? Or that's supposed to be like the the, the best thing you could d be doing. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Okay, so this gift, what gift is he speaking about? Yeah, so the priesthood gift, right? So he's speaking about the gift of priesthood. So he, and he re he received that through the laying of hands of Saint Paul. So Saint Paul is the one who ordained Saint Timothy to be bishop by the laying of his hands. And so he's saying what um, he received the gift, right? Like that that day of the laying of the hands, he received the gift of priesthood. Okay, but he tells him to do what? I remind you to stir up the gift. What does to stir up the gift mean? How does he stir it up? Okay, use it in the right way. Good. Like more, more work. More work. As a priest. Right to work to work diligently. Right. Yeah. As a priest. Yes. What else? make it alive yeah. okay yeah I mean all these are right answers I'm not like there's no um, good but but what's interesting about it is that one person could think that when someone receives a gift from God then it's kind of like a superpower you know like we have all these superhero movies right that you receive the superpower and now suddenly you have it right it's a superpower that I have and I can use it at will whenever I want right but actually, the gifts that God gives us are not given to us in their fullness. They're given, he's like he gives us the seed, right, of the gift, right? And unless we do something with the gift, then it will remain a seed, and it will not flourish or grow or thrive. And it's not just this gift of priesthood, but any gift. You know, like if somebody has, you know, a gift of, like, intelligence and, and um, you know, able to, like, think well and, and make decisions and so on but this person decides never go to go to school right never gets any education they're going to be very limited you know in, in what they're able to do right because 
they have not exercised the gift. So if they were to exercise it, they would find that they excel. They would find that maybe they're better than others in that area. But because they never exercised it, they actually are less than others. And they don't know that, right? Whenever God gives us a gift, he wants us to exercise the gift. And only then will it reach its fullness. You know, St. Timothy, right? Okay, so he had, he had, he was, he was going to become a bishop, but not when he was five years old, right? Like, like when he, when he was five years old, he wasn't ready yet, right? He, there, there was, there was some training, right? Going back again to how he was raised, like there was a training and the training eventually led him to have the, 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 the requirements, to have the character, to have what he needed in order to become a bishop, but not from the beginning. And this is true for all of us, right? Like God wants us to use the gifts that we have. He wants us to train and to exercise them so that once they reach a certain state of fullness, once they reach a certain level, now that they can be used and, and that we can use them in different ways along the way, right? Like, so for instance, someone who um, has, uh, you know, is, is very successful, right? Can be successful at the level that they're at. Can be very successful in middle school, right? At that level, they're not going to be president. But they're successful in middle school, and then they go to high school. They're successful in high school, which is like a step above. It's successful in college, successful in their work, and eventually they could get to the level where they could be very successful at like a national level, right? But but it it has to be consistent um, hard work and perseverance throughout in order to reach that level. Okay, so that's like an important principle, and that even even though it is a gift. So the gifts of God doesn't mean that he brings us the gift in their final form, right? No, it's a, it's a seed, something that we can work with in order to build it up. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Okay, he has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Okay, so one, God doesn't want us to be afraid. Right? He has not given us a spirit of fear. And there's a lot of things we could be afraid of. Right? Like when you think, what are all the things that I'm afraid of? You know, I'm afraid of death. Um, I'm afraid of being alone. I'm afraid of failure. I'm afraid of um, whatever manner of things. Spiders. I don't know. Um, God doesn't want us to be afraid. Right? Because if we believe that he is with us, then there is no reason to fear. Fear is a sign of a lack of faith. Fear is a sign that we feel like I am by myself and that I am, there is no one supporting me, there is no one helping me, there is no one guiding me, there is no one who is making the path forward for me and I am alone. That's why I'm afraid. I'm afraid because I feel like I am alone. And I don't believe that my life is being ordered or guided or, or, or set in place by God, but only I am by myself. And the fear can come from different things. One, it can come from a lack of faith, like you said. It can also come from self-reliance. I d I'm not comfortable with the idea of placing my destiny, my future, my fate, my, fu my future and everything that is in the hands of someone else. I'm not comfortable with that idea. I'm not comfortable with the idea that someone else is determining for me the, the path of life that I should walk, right? Again, we're not saying that we have no role to play. Of course we do. But to say that I believe that God has created me for a certain purpose means that there is some direction he wants me to go. Maybe some people... Um, only rely on themselves and so that they're afraid. If you look at like David and Goliath, for instance, the only reason he wasn't afraid when standing in front of Goliath is because he felt like he wasn't alone. He felt like God is the one who was going to guide him to defeat Goliath. If David felt like he was alone, that he would be very frightened standing in front of a giant like, like Goliath. So, so God guided David in this. Um, another reason why we might be afraid is because we have too much focus on the obstacles. Just like when St. Peter was walking on the water, when he got distracted from what he was doing and the fact that Christ is the one who granted him to walk on the water, and he said he began to see the wind and the waves, and at that point he began to sink, which is very interesting. It's only when he noticed. I mean, the winds and the waves were there all along, but it's only when he noticed them. This is when he began to sink, and he began to sink because he started to focus on the magnitude of the problem, right? So sometimes we're afraid because I focus too much on the details of the problem. And because we tend to be maybe analytical, problem solvers, for those of us who are, um, it's easy for us to get burnt out and trying to fix problems that are unfixable, right? It's beyond my ability to fix. I, I, God gives us things that cannot be fixed. We cannot fix. Only he can fix. And, 
and what's hard is that sometimes you know we're, we're always called to do our part we're always called to like if there's something within my power to do i do it okay but how do we know when to stop doing how do we know when i have done everything that i can do and there's nothing else in my power to do and everything else is just i pray and i wait because i've done everything that i can because focusing too much on the details focusing too much on um, our role as opposed to God's role can make us to also be afraid. Um, so there are a lot of reasons why, right? But it says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. Instead, he gives what? He says he gives us a spirit of power, meaning the ability to do that which is impossible. You know, and everything that the Lord asks us to do actually is impossible without him. It's impossible without him. When he asks us to live a life of virtue, this is impossible without him. If you look at the requirements of, like, the moral requirements of the New Testament compared to the Old Testament, they are much stricter. Why? Because they are done in, in the Holy Spirit, with the work of the Holy Spirit, not by ourselves, right? So he says, if you have the Holy Spirit, then you should be able to attain sainthood. You should be able to live a life of virtue and godliness and righteousness the way that I'm asking you to. You should be able to love your enemies, you know? You should, you should be able to live a life of contentment. You should be able to do these things. How? Only, uh, only in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you do not have the Holy Spirit, then these things are impossible for you, right? Then he says also the spirit of love, right? The, s the spirit of love, which is the love of God. The word love who is maligned in the world and what, what people mean it to mean, right? But the love of God is to serve, is to give, is to give of ourselves, is to sacrifice, right? So the spirit of love means I have been given the ability to sacrifice. And we see St. Paul in his sacrifice, in everything he does sacrificing of himself even when he is already suffering and he is already in pain and he no one is there to support him and yet he continues to support others because the support of saint paul of course is god himself so serving those who are underserved um, working tirelessly for the salvation of other people all of these are acts of love right and of course all of the the things we speak about as acts of love in christianity this is what god has given also he has given us what the spirit of a sound mind. He's given us a sound mind, okay? Meaning the sound mind is the ability to reason and to think. This is what allows us to keep ourselves safe and guarded from apostasy, from being deceived, and also how to reason with others, how to convince others, how to evangelize to others. You know, without the sound mind, then we are not able to be believers, right? Being, being a believer is not an emotional state. It's, it's not like that some people believe that if we are going to be Christians, then we're going to live our lives in la-la land. Like just always just euphoric and happy all the time and, 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 and never feeling anything negative and only being happy. Uh, St. Paul was not, his life was not characterized by a huge amount of happiness in, in that sense. Like he was always struggling. He was always suffering. Right, he he was stoned. Was he happy when he was being stoned? He wasn't happy, right? So the, the 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 so much of what our faith is about is about the ability to reason and to think, and that our faith is actually rooted in reason. You know, our faith is rooted in reason because its foundation is reason, and based on that reason, we are able then to trust what we cannot reason, what we cannot see. Like our our sound mind tells us that I trust in the character of God. And because I trust in the character of God, I trust on who he is, that means I believe whatever he says. So even if what he says doesn't sound reasonable to me, doesn't sound possible to me, and yet I believe that it's true, simply because he said. Like the same God, actually, who became incarnate and did all these miracles on the earth and then died and resurrected, right? Like that's the core of Christianity. Like anyone who wants to say that they're a Christian has to at least believe and the incarnation and the crucifixion and the resurrection, right? So if you believe that God can raise himself from the dead, then why can't you believe that he allowed Jonah to be swallowed by a fish? You know, why can't you believe that, like, anything, uh, the, the account in Genesis, you know? Why can't you believe that there was a serpent in the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve were real people and the serpent was speaking to them? Why? Like, is that more difficult than to raise your own self from the dead? It's not, if you can do this, you can do that, right? It doesn't mean that we understand. It doesn't mean that we have answers to everything that we read about what God has done or we understand how 
he did it or even why he did it the way that he did it. But this is where faith comes in, right? But the, the, the foundation of that faith is reason. I can reason about who God is. I can reason about what he said about himself. I can reason about why he's done certain things. The exact details and, and how he does them, like how is it that we can reason about heaven? It's very hard to reason about heaven. It's something beyond my ability. But I can reason of why heaven exists and what God said about it and the analogies that he made in order to help me to understand it. Those are all things that are reasonable. Um, even even if faith is like higher than reason. It's not contradictory to reason. It's higher. It's higher than reason. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in his sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. So he says, don't shy away, because again, he's speaking to Timothy, right? So Timothy is a bishop, and, and here he's giving him his like final uh, guidance before he he's martyred, okay, before St. Paul is mar martyred. So he's saying, don't shy away from preaching the truth, because you might suffer the same outcome as me. You might be martyred just as I am going to be martyred. You might be imprisoned just as I am going to be imprisoned, but don't, don't let this be a deterrent. Don't let this be a reason for you to be afraid or to cease from preaching. Do not be ashamed of the testimony, right? When you go and, and begin to preach the testimony of salvation, of the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ and everything that, the, you know, the gospel message, um, then you will suffer and 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 don't let the suffering or the pain that you might experience be a deterrent for you. Don't be afraid of persecution or punishment, right? Um, and be willing to share in the sufferings of Christ. Share with me and the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. So the the idea that that suffering is not something to be avoided. This is something like maybe in with our modern mind very difficult to accept and to understand. But you see in the early church, suffering was not something to be avoided. Suffering was something that was sought after. The martyrs, when they, when, 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 when they saw there was an opportunity for martyrdom, they would run into the streets declaring their faith so that they would be martyred too. Right? Because they saw that dying for Christ was greater than living in the world. And maybe this is our problem. Is we think that living in the world is actually better than dying for Christ. Maybe not on paper. Maybe if somebody asked me the question, do you believe that dying for Christ is better than living in the world? I'll say, yes, it's better. But how is that played out like in my choices? How is it played out in my decisions, in the things that I do and the things that I say? Um, even the apostles, after they were beaten by the Sanhedrin, it said about them that they, they were rejoicing that they could be counted worthy of suffering in the name of Christ. So the early church, and of course the scripture, you know, it's clear, that suffering is not something to be avoided, but it's something to be embraced. Because we are willing to suffer as an act of love to the one who suffered for us. It's almost like we're saying, however, how, in what way possible could we ever repay God for the love he's shown us by giving us salvation? There's no way. There's no way to repay him. But we see, like, out of the great love that he showed us, which was manifested in his suffering for us, we also choose to suffer for him. Not to say that that means that our love for him is equivalent to his love for us, but that's like, I'm giving you what I have. Like, this is, this is all I can give you. Like, you gave me my, myself and my life, and I offer it back to you as an act of love. I allow myself to be burned, right, as a sweet aroma of incense to you. And this is the life of St. Paul, of how he lived. He, he, his entire life, he was being burned, like, like as, a, as, a, as a, an offering that he made of himself to God, so that he would give back to God like an, an, an act of love in response to the love that God had shown him. Okay, So the suffering is, is necessary, and if, the su if, if everyone had avoided suffering, um, then there would be no church. Right? The church would not have spread as it did. The, sp the church spread um, through the blood of the martyrs. That's how the church spread. That was the greatest attraction, actually, to Christianity was not the preaching. It was the martyrdom because there are many people who preach. There's many people who have different messages who are going to preach and say, this is what I believe or this is the truth. This is the truth. Who are you going to believe? But if, if you see someone who's willing to die for what they believe, right, then that person is so convicted and sure of what they believe, that message is attractive 
right? As opposed to just someone who is, I'm in it because I'm getting something. I'm in it because I have a good salary. You know, I'm in it because I enrich myself or I get power or whatever it is from it. No, but if you're willing to die for it, that means you're not doing this at all to enrich yourself. You're not doing it to, um, because you have some kind of worldly benefit from it. You really, really believe that it's true and you're willing to sacrifice even yourself for it. And of course, like I said, we sacrifice ourselves for Christ as an act of love. Um, St. John Chrysostom, he says, Do not be ashamed. For I who have raised the dead, made miracles, and turned the world towards the faith have now become a prisoner. However, I am not a prisoner due to some evil I have done, but I am a prisoner for the sake of the crucified. If my Lord was not ashamed of the cross, then I am not ashamed of my chains. If our Lord and Master has endured the cross, then it is even more appropriate that we get tied with chains. Anyone who feels ashamed of what the Master has endured, the cross and the chains, is actually ashamed of the crucified himself. Now I do not endure the chains for my own sake, for we should not give in to human emotions, but you have to bear your share in these sufferings. Right, so, so this is the, the cross that the Lord asked us to carry, and, and a big part of that cross is whatever sufferings that he allows us to endure for his name, this is, we embrace these things. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Okay, So we have been called for salvation. We have been called for salvation. And it is our responsibility to respond to the call. And the salvation is through the grace of God, not by our works. And he created each one of us for a purpose that he knew even before the creation. Okay, He saved us called us with a holy calling, right? The calling is an individual call. He, 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 on the cross, he accomplished salvation for everyone, right? And then he called each of us to accept this gift of salvation, right? And this salvation was not according to works. So no, no person could, through their good works, to, to have salvation, to be saved. But it is only through accepting of him and having faith in him. But according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us, in Christ Jesus before time began. He gave us each a calling. He gave us each a purpose. He called us each to salvation. And he accomplished salvation for the whole world. Yes. Responding to the call. I mean, this is everything we're talking about. So, like, uh, responding to the call is to live according to the purpose that God called us for. And, of course, for all of us, a big part of that is the salvation component itself. Like, like accepting salvation, which of course means having faith, being baptized, living in the church, uh, the sacraments, all of that. So like baseline, what would apply to every believer? Salvation. Okay, But then on top of that is what is the calling that God has called us individually for? So God called St. Paul to be an apostle. He called St. Timothy to be a bishop. Right? Not all of us are apostles and bishops. Not all of us are martyrs. He calls some of us to be mothers and fathers. He calls us to be employees. He calls us to be brothers and sisters. He calls us to be sons and daughters. He calls us to be friends. He calls us to, to, to fulfill whatever role he has granted to us. So whatever it is he granted to us, he is calling us to fulfill that role. And in fulfilling that role is our salvation. As we said when we're talking about like the parable of the talents, right? when, when, when he gave the talents, and, and he came back and he saw who was faithful with the talents that were given. He said to them, enter into the joy of your Lord. Meaning you, you, have, you, ha you are being rewarded with the heavenly reward because you have been faithful with the earthly things. Right? So it's like be faithful with the small earthly things and you will receive the heavenly reward. So, so that is the calling, what we were called to do. So some of it is the general calling of all believers, and then some of it is a specific calling for whatever God wants me to do. <coughs> but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Okay, so this plan of salvation, okay, that has been in the mind of God from the very beginning, that was even declared in the Garden of Eden when when, when God said that the, the seed of the woman, meaning the Messiah, is going to trample on the serpent, right? That is the plan of salvation from the very beginning, even immediately after the first sin, 
Okay? It has now been revealed. The thing that, that mankind has been waiting for for thousands of years has now been revealed. How? By the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. And in what way was salvation accomplished? He abolished death, which is what we mean by salvation. Salvation means to be saved from death. Right? So he abolished death and brought life and immortality to, the li to, to light through the gospel. So the gospel message, the message that the Lord teached, uh, preached, the message that the apostles preached, is the means by which that we receive to ourselves this gift of salvation that has now been revealed to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. To which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. So again, he's, he's thinking about what is my calling? What is it that I, how is it that I have lived? Okay, what has been my mission throughout my life that God has called me for? It is to be a teacher of the Gentiles, to be an apostle, to be a preacher. So a preacher is what? Someone who exhorts, inspires, encourages, um, like focusing kind of on like the pastoral aspect of, of, of the teaching, pastoral aspect of, of being a, uh, like, a, like a teacher. Okay, he's an apostle. Apostle is a messenger. Sounds like I'm bringing a message from God to the people, right, of salvation. And he's a teacher. He's teaching the truth about God. So he's, he's, he's all these things, okay? And this is saying, this was my calling, and this is how I've lived my life. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. So because of his calling, he has suffered. Because he was a teacher, a preacher, an apostle, because he was fulfilling the purpose, the calling that God called him for, it is for that reason that he suffered. Explicitly that reason. So if he would have said, you know what, I'm done being a teacher, I'm done being an apostle, I'm done being a preacher, his life would actually have been much better. He, he, he would have he he been able to go on vacations, like he would be able to, to get married, have children, live a relaxed life, right? Like th the life that maybe all of us would dream to have. Right would be the life that he also would dream to have, but he didn't. Like he says, no, my calling was not that. Like my calling was to live a life of suffering, just as from the very beginning, when the Lord was speaking to uh, Ananias, who was the one who um, baptized Saul. Um, God told him, "I'm I'm going to show him how he must suffer for my name." From the very beginning, that was all part of the deal. Like, you're going to be an apostle for me, and you're going to have to suffer for my name. Okay? So, so here, this suffering is why. And this is the way that God works. So, it is not that God wants us to suffer. It's not that God enjoys our pain. You know, sometimes we think of it like, like, God wants me to feel pain. No, actually, originally, God did intend for pain to exist. In the Garden of Eden, there was no pain. It's not like God enjoys seeing us to be in pain. Where does the pain come from? Where does the suffering come from? Sin, the corrupt nature, but the struggle to become righteous and who is fighting against us? Satan. So, so much of the suffering is because we are fighting in this war against an enemy. So the source of suffering is the enemy. He was the reason for our deception he was the reason why we 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 disobeyed god from the beginning he is the one who continues to tempt us in our life all the time right so the source of all suffering is him of course we have free will to choose it's not like it's not like he is it's not like he is he is um overpowering our free will okay so part of it is the, the bad choices that we make because we are tempted by him. Part of it is the corrupted nature of the world that now exists through sin. Part of it is the suffering we face because of other people who have been deceived by Satan as well and the way that they treat us. But all of these things that the devil intended to be for our destruction, when, when we say that, no, we, we must suffer for in the service of Christ. So God has taken what Satan intended to be evil intended to be destructive and he turned it into good he turned it he turned it he said he said this suffering which could have been aimless and purposeless 
It could have been just for the purpose of your destruction. I have taken it and actually turned it around so that now it is the reason for your glory. And now it is the, it is the means by which you will grow. It is the means by which you will draw closer to me. And this is what the resurrection is. In the resurrection, God did not cancel death. He turned death into life. He said, you will die, but now death is life. So when you die, you are actually becoming more alive than you were before. Just as in suffering, you will suffer, but that suffering is not for your destruction or for your downfall, but it is for your elevation, right? So even in <coughs> all the suffering, we don't see the suffering as being destructive as much as we see it that God has turned the suffering into good for us even St. Paul when you think of the thorn in his side right the thorn in his side was a suffering but God said I allowed it I allowed it for you right so that you would not be puffed up or elevated after having seen all these visions of heaven and all of this um, so so I, I it is good for you right it is good God could have canceled it right but he said no I'm turning it into something good so Satan was unable to stop St. Paul throughout all of his ministry. And because St. Paul does the work of God, he accepted this mission from God, and he knows that it will succeed only through God's grace. He remains faithful to him until the very end. This is why he says, um, for I know whom I have believed, meaning I, 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 am, I am on a mission for God. He's the one I believe, he's the one I follow, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him. Meaning, I believe that God is able to grant me Success to the very end, until that day, until that day of, of, of the end, my end, the day of judgment, the end of the world, until everything is accomplished and finished, I'm able to maintain and persevere to the end because of him. He says, I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed, right? Like I am, I'm struggling, I'm trying my best, I am falling, I'm repenting, I'm getting up again, but I have faith and believe that in the end, God is keeping everything and will keep me to the end. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me and faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Okay? So, as St. Paul has said of at other times, he calls people to imitate his way of life. And this is not a easy thing to say. It's not an easy thing to say. Like, if you think, like, who would dare, like, for me to go to someone and say, oh, you want salvation? Just live how I live. Just do what I do. Whatever it is that I do, you do it, and you're going to be just fine. Okay? Like, that's not, a, that, that's not something that a person can say lightly, right? But, but at, at several points, St. Paul says, imitate me, right? Because he is the apostle. The apostle is the one who is bringing the message of salvation from God and lives according to that perfect example right lives according to that perfect example so he is kind of the embodiment of what a believer should be and this is why when we look to saint paul we say okay like he lived the fullness of the christian life and we imitate him we live like how he lived hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me so not only in the way that he lived but in the words that he said right the things that i taught is the truth Right? When we read the scripture, the majority of the New Testament is written by St. Paul. When we try to understand what is it that our faith entails, we look to what St. Paul said. We say, what did St. Paul say about this? What did St. Paul say about this? Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Okay? Um, that good thing which was committed to you keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. So the Holy Spirit is like the, the guard. He is the, the one who keeps he is the one who protects. He is the safeguard for us, right? Uh, and he dwells in all believers and will support our faith and will keep us from keep us from deception, keep us from falling away, keep us from um, going after false teachings. Hold fast the pattern of sound words. This you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Figulus and Hermogenes. Okay? So... Here, when he's speaking about Asia, he's speaking about Asia Minor. Asia Minor, which is where Ephesus is, which again, um, Timothy is the bishop of Ephesus. This is modern-day Turkey, okay? And so he's referring to uh, a group of people, among whom are these two men that he mentions, um, are those who abandoned St. Paul. 
and specifically when they saw that St. Paul had been imprisoned, they used the opportunity of his imprisonment in order to go and to teach their own thing. And being jealous of him, seeking to have a following just as St. Paul had, they used again this opportunity of him being uh, incarcerated to go and to begin to um, uh, speak against the things that St. Paul was teaching. Right? So we know, for instance, that there was a, a large group uh, of people who were uh, speaking about, uh, called the Judaizers, who were false teachers speaking about the necessity of the circumcision. Um, and we know that this was a common problem that happened in the early church, where the, 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 the some of the Jews believed that in order to become a Christian, you have to first become Jewish. You had to follow the Jewish practices. So even if you were Gentile, had never been circumcised before, saying, no, in order to be Christian, you have to be circumcised. So this was an example of some of the, the, the people who would go and to preach contrary to um, what St. Paul was teaching. So um, the, these people created division uh, in the church, uh, and they used this opportunity in order to, um, to spread their false teachings. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesephorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. So Onesephorus was uh, another man who was a son uh, in the faith of St. Paul, and he became a believer in Iconium. And one of the missionary journeys where St. Paul was preaching in Iconium, he became a believer there, and he ended up becoming a merchant in Ephesus. So he was living in Ephesus where St. Timothy is. And he, when he heard that St. Paul had been in prison, he traveled from there to Rome, where he was, in order to find him and to give him comfort. So he is, um, again, commending this man and saying, the Lord have mercy on him for all that he has done um, and the way that he ministered. Okay. I think this is a good stopping point for today. Um, we just finished chapter 1. Does anyone have any comments or questions on chapter 1? Okay. Next time you guys can like sit half over here and half over here. <laughs> okay. Let's pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask for your mercy in all things, and we ask that we place St. Paul as an example before us of someone who was a faithful servant to you and a faithful disciple and believer. We ask, O oh God, that you call us with a holy calling, that you help us to understand what our calling is, not only, O oh Lord, to be in the faith and to live a righteous and moral life, but also to know how is it you want us to conduct ourselves, how you want us to spend our time, what mission you call us for. We ask, O oh God, that you grant us your mercy and you have mercy on us because of all the ways that we fail and we fall short. Grant us, O oh Lord, a purified heart and mind and lead us to your heavenly kingdom. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, Hear us as we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the communion of the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. Peace with the Lord be with you all. Amen.